Welcome back to the Dirt Show. I've missed you. I don't like these long hiatuses between Wednesday and Monday, especially when so many things are happening in the world. You can't ignore, obviously, uh, Ukraine and what's, what's happening there. The big issue that's being discussed all over the world today is uh, whether or not uh, Putin and Russia have committed uh, war crimes and whether they could be prosecuted in The Hague uh, for their crimes. Uh, as usual on the media, tremendous amount of ignorance and lack of knowledge and failure to understand the law and the limited jurisdictions of both the International Court of Justice and the International Criminal Court. So today you get a law school seminar. You get to hear what the law is, at least what I think the law is. Um, international law isn't much law. I mean, it's not based mostly on statutes uh, that have been agreed upon by the people. No taxation without representation is not the rule of international law. Uh, much international law is just created uh, in ivory towers by academics and then voted on. Um, some of it comes from the United Nations, some of it comes through treaties. So let's go over some of that and at least I'll give you a basic outline of uh, what happens. There are, there are several mechanisms for enforcing international law. One is the International Court of Justice. We'll talk about that for a minute, but only a minute because it's worthless. Then there's the International Criminal Court, which is controversial. We'll talk about that. And then every domestic court has what's called universal jurisdiction. It's been very controversial. You'll recall that sometimes uh, Israeli former prime ministers are arrested in Holland or in England and held to be brought in front of local courts for violating some sort of international law that nobody knows what its content is for their self-defense measures in the Gaza. They're normally thrown out, but still there are those mechanisms. And then there are essentially two types of war crimes. And this is important because the media mostly misses this. There is the crime of aggressive war. That is the crime of war. That was established at Nuremberg. Uh, people were hanged as the result of fighting an aggressive war. That is attacking Poland, attacking Czechoslovakia, ultimately attacking other nations uh, as well. So on the one side is the crime of war. On the other side is crimes within war. So regardless, of whether a war is legal or illegal, even if it's completely legal, a completely defensive war, you can still commit war crimes. You cannot target civilians, civilian entities. Um, you cannot um, um, bomb cities that have no uh, strategic um, importance. You can't do, for example, what the United States did on Hiroshima and Nagasaki and what Britain did and the United States did in Dresden and what uh, uh, Germany did uh, over London. Those are all war crimes. You know, you, we've committed them. Most every country in the world has, has committed them. But, and then of course, you know, you can't just kill civilians. You can't kill soldiers who have surrendered and put down their arms. There are all kinds of war crimes. You can't commit rape during wartime. It's a war crime. Um, so again, to distinguish very importantly, the crime of waging an illegal aggressive war 
That's generally a crime against the country, but the leader of the country can be brought in front of uh, various courts. Uh, the International Criminal Court doesn't have jurisdiction over that kind of war crime. That has to be referred by the United Nations Security Council, which is never going to happen, hasn't happened in the past. So aggressive war is probably only going to be prosecuted, if it's ever going to be prosecuted, and I think, I think it won't, um, through domestic courts that apply universal principles, the Nuremberg principles. So let's focus uh, most of the attention on what really could happen, and that is crimes within war. I'm not going to bore you with the Latin terms. There are lots of Latin terms uh, for, for these different kinds of, of, of procedures and, and, and indictments. So let's distinguish now between the International Court of Justice and the International Criminal Court. The International Court of Justice is not a court. Let's start with that. It's a United Nations organ in which the judges are selected by the countries and they're told how to rule. They're not independent judges. Obviously, the Russian judge is told by Putin what to do. And even the American judge, he's not really a judge. He's there on behalf of the United States. And it's just you know, not really a court. Um, I like to say the International Court of Justice is not international because many countries have never served on it. For example, as you might imagine, Israel has never had a permanent judge on the International Court of Justice. It's ruled against Israel many, many times, but it's never had an Israeli judge. It's a permanent judge. I think once there was a visiting judge for a short temporary uh, period of, of time. So it's not international. It's not a court. It doesn't consist of independent judges who don't have to report. Uh, any judge who doesn't do his country's bidding can be removed by the country. Uh, there's no other procedure for that. And it wouldn't know justice if it fell over it. Uh, its decisions are horribly um, one-sided, uh, anti-Western, anti-American, anti-Israel, anti-good values, and, and pro often pro-tyranny. And it has no power. All it can do is refer matters to the Security Council on which Russia has a veto. So forget about the International Court of Justice. Whatever you hear about the International Court of Justice, put it aside. It will have no impact on this conflict. People say, have a symbolic impact. Yeah, Putin is going to listen to symbolisms. For Putin, either it has teeth or it doesn't have teeth. And the International Court of Justice just doesn't have teeth. So put that aside. The International Criminal Court is quite a different matter. It is not a United Nations court, although it has some connections to the United Nations. Certain matters have to be referred to uh, various United Nations entities. But it was created by a treaty, a contract, a treaty. It's called the Treaty of Rome. And uh, the first prosecutor for the International Criminal Court was a great, great lawyer from uh, Argentina, uh, Luisa Campo, who really elevated the status and stature of the court because he was such an eminent jurist himself. Thus um, far, they've really only brought cases um, against African countries, and there's been a lot of concern about that, and the current prosecutor is an African woman, and she's been looking to find some cases involving non-African nations. I mentioned 
the International Court of Justice and the International Criminal Court. I didn't mention a third entity. There have been some special courts set up, and I argued two cases in front of the special courts. Uh, there was a special court set up for the former Yugoslavia, um, and that is it consisted of judges who were uh, appointed, and they had jurisdiction only over that particular conflict. In fact, there are people today in prison, uh, Karadzic and uh, others who have been in prison who have died, uh, Milosevic and others. Uh, they were actually sentenced to prison. I visited Karadzic in prison. Um, he wanted me to be his lawyer. Um, in the end, I was not his lawyer, but uh, he served me a lo lovely lunch with tea. It, 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 I tell you, if you're ever going to go to prison, go to prison in The Hague. Not bad. He had his own teapot and various kinds of tea that he offered me, um, condiments and you know cheese and other things. We had a lovely, lovely lunch with a mass alleged mass murderer, but that's what lawyers do. Um, and in the end, we couldn't agree on the manner by which I would represent him if I represented him also. I didn't represent him, but if I did go inside the prison of the International uh, Criminal Court and the International Court for various locations. Um, now, International Criminal Court, Russia is not a member. They were a member, they got out. The United States was never a member. Ukraine is trying to become a member, but it hasn't been accepted yet, but it has accepted the jurisdiction of the International Criminal Court, I think in 2014, it accepted the jurisdiction. And so the International Criminal Court says it has jurisdiction over what happens in Ukraine. It's very questionable. Can you really have jurisdiction over a country that isn't a member, that isn't bound to uh, follow uh, the conclusions? Um, as I said, the United States is not a member. Israel is not a member. Israel wanted to be a member, but the United States didn't want to become a member, so it persuaded Israel to go along and not become a member. There have been negotiations to see whether or not that could ever change and whether the United States and or Israel and half a dozen or more other countries that it would be good to get into the International Criminal Court became a member. But they have jurisdiction. And the cases that I argued and the cases that other people have argued involve war crimes committed within the context of a war, killing civilians mostly. Now, there's one very, very important rule uh, that's widely misunderstood. The media gets it wrong almost all the time. It's called the law or the rule of proportionality. Now, the rule of proportionality has nothing to do with what you would normally think. For example, if um, a country sends one rocket uh, to another country and destroys, say, one missile base, the other country can retaliate and destroy 10,000 military targets. That doesn't violate the rule of proportionality. Your response does not have to be proportional to the attack. You are entitled, under international law, to massively retaliate and to hit 1,000, 10,000 military targets for every military target they hit. The law of proportionality has nothing to do with military targets. It only has to do with civilian deaths. The concept of proportionality is this. You're entitled to hit a military target, but if you know that hitting the military target will produce civilian deaths or injuries, 
That's the important point. You have to know that you're hitting the military target will result in civilian casualties, even though you don't intend them. Say they're hiding a rocket launcher in a city. You're entitled to attack the rocket launcher. Uh, but if you know that attacking a rocket launcher in the city will result in 10 civilian deaths, the law, and it's very vague, simply says this. The number of civilian casualties that you anticipate, not that resulted, but that you anticipated in your own head, the number of civilian casualties has to be proportional, hence the word, proportional to the importance of the military target. Now, has there ever been a rule as general and impossible to define as that? Proportional, number one. Number two, important military target. Israel has that issue all the time. So it's going after the head terrorist who has already killed 500 people and is planning to kill 500 more. And he's at the third floor of a building and intelligence has determined that he's there and his wife and his children are there. Um, can you kill that terrorist with a rocket that you anticipate will also kill his children? The United States has done, obviously, the same thing in its war against uh, terrorism. What if you know that it will also kill people in the second floor and the first floor? Say the total number of people that might be killed or seriously injured are 10, and he is the main, main, main terrorist. Generally, the law says you can do that. Uh, if it's the main terrorist, if it's the king, checkmate, if it's uh, an attack that could really prevent many, many deaths of your civilians, then proportionality permits you to take that action knowing that there will be civilian casualties of a certain amount. But if an ordinary terrorist runs into a hospital and you have him dead to rights, he's committed a serious crime, he's a terrorist, he's just about entered the hospital, you have him in your sights, uh, right near where he would be killed, there's a ward with 100 uh, children, you cannot kill him, you must let him escape. Because he's just a terrorist, just one person. Yeah, he might kill five or six people, but you can't kill 100 people to kill that terrorist. Now, <laughs> imagine how you have to be making that decision in the middle of wartime. The joke is that when Israel recently got F-whatever, 35 planes, uh, and they had them built to Israeli specifications, they required that there be three cockpits instead of two. The first for the pilot the second for the navigator, and the third for the lawyer who will have to advise them as to whether they can fire the rocket or drop the bomb. So I don't think you really want lawyers in the middle of a battle making decisions about what's proportional, what's not. But in the Israeli army, they do that. And the difference between the American army and the Israeli army is the Israeli army, the judge advocate general, which is the lawyer for the army, their rules govern. The prime minister of Israel cannot overrule a decision made by the judge advocate general. Great world, lawyers decide everything. But um, in Israel, the lawyers decide whether you can target. I was actually at a base, at a base. I was a guest when 
the Israelis were targeting a major terrorist. And I was allowed to watch quietly, obviously, but I was allowed to watch and the technology was unbelievable. You could see from some drone that um, there was a building and there was a car and the car was approaching and uh, intelligence had shown that the car um, had uh, a major terrorist in it. The intelligence knew who he was and he was a subject. And um, the uh, military commander authorized the drone operator or the pilot, I don't remember now, I think it might have been a live pilot, to fire the rocket. And then people appeared after the rocket was fired. Boom, the button was pressed. People appeared. And the general had to cancel the rocket. And the rocket went and then went out to sea, and the terrorist escaped. Because in the middle of the operation, it became clear there would be more collateral damage, more civilians killed than was anticipated. And so they changed their minds midstream. And uh, was it a good decision? We don't, I don't know whether the terrorists went on to kill 20 more people or 30 more people, whether or not the people who were on the ground were also terrorists. You know, you really can't tell the difference. All you can see when you're seeing this incredible a high resolution from up in the sky, you can see it's a human being, you can tell if it's an adult or a child, you can tell if it's a man or a woman, but you can't tell if it's a terrorist or a, a civilian. That's not clear, especially since they don't wear uniforms. So there's no indication of whether you're killing a terrorist or killing a civilian. So these are the kinds of issues. Now, if Putin were to be tried for war crimes, uh, he would defend. Um, First, he's not going to surrender, so there won't be a trial, and, 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 and the Hague doesn't have an army, and the International Criminal Court's not going to send people to arrest him and serve him a subpoena, not like a normal crime. But hypothetically, if he were ever to be arrested, you know, we never expected Karadish and Milosevic would be arrested, but they were. If he were ever arrested, or even if he's not arrested, if he sends a lawyer to defend him, and by the way, Putin, don't call me, I'm not going to be your lawyer. Let's be very clear about that one. So um, I, uh, he, he would defend on the ground that, look, these were military targets. Um, even the horrible CNN scene that has been shown on television, horrible, horrible scene where you see a family with a mother and two children being killed. Just before that, you see a guy who probably was also killed carrying a gun. and He seems to have been the target. So Putin's defense is, you know, my soldiers were instructed to kill people who have guns who are trying to kill them or defend Ukraine. And by accident, uh, two children were, were killed. I'm sorry, it's a tragedy, but it's not a crime. Can you prove it was beyond a reasonable doubt? It's not easy, not easy to make that proof. Now, you know, if you want, if you're the International Criminal Court and you're very anti-Israel, and you know you want to make the case about Israel and Hamas, you can twist the facts and twist the law the way the Goldstone Report did, and maybe come to a conclusion of guilt. But if you're an objective, honest, reasonable judge, it'd be very hard, very hard to do that. I mean, we're not here talking about the kinds of war crimes that we experienced uh, both in the Second World War and since that time. Even, even Srebrenica and places like that, where innocent people were lined up in front of mass graves 
and just shot or Bobby R, um, where of course nobody wants to tell us uh, how involved Ukrainians were in the killings of Bobby R and how involved Ukrainians were. Today on CNN, I saw an interview I could not believe it, and the CNN jerk who was doing the interviews didn't follow up. This guy from the Ukraine, of course, you can't question anybody from Ukraine. They're all heroes. They're all great people. Uh, he says, Putin is much worse than Hitler. Putin is much worse than Hitler, he says, because Hitler was only trying to do what was best for the German people. Hey, yeah, right, yeah, yeah. That was the Ukrainian mindset in 1942 and 1943, and it amazes me that we still see some people with that mindset uh, today. German Hitler was only trying to do what was best for the German people. Of course, many Ukrainians, I, didn't, I don't know where the most, many Ukrainians, millions of Ukrainians supported Hitler, were collaborators, were thrilled to see Hitler come in and murder uh, millions of Jews. Uh, and don't ever try to rewrite that history. Ukrainians today may be heroic people. We want to give them all kinds of benefit and all kinds of support. But do not erase history. Do not erase the horrible role that many Ukrainians played in the, in the Holocaust, in the murder of Jews, in the murder of others. So, um, you know, as I've said before in the show, history is complex. The world is complex. It's rare that you have black and white. Today, you do have black and white, even though a little gray was introduced by that guy's statement. But you do have pretty much uh, uh, evil versus generally good, but let's let's not forget history. So if there were to be a trial, it would be a difficult trial. Uh, so as I said, we haven't seen lining people up. We haven't seen massive rapes as has happened in many uh, wars as a weapon of war. Rape has been a weapon of war horribly. And it was one of the first things that was outlawed by uh, international criminal law. So we haven't seen a lot of that. We haven't seen soldiers with their hands up being mowed down, which we have seen in, in, in many other uh, wars and, and tragic situations. What we've seen is the killing of many civilians, perhaps the destruction deliberately of infrastructures uh, in cities and towns, uh, the bombing of cities and towns. That's bad enough. That's bad enough. Those are war crimes. Not going to be easy to prove not going to be easy to prove. This is not going to be a simple case. Um, it would be a simple case if the issue were just aggressive war. I don't think Putin would have a leg to stand on if he said, I was justified in invading all of the Ukraine because the breakaway provinces uh, on the east uh, really were not uh, happy with their situation. And look, what I did in Crimea was, was perfectly okay. And look, I'm threatened by NATO. And maybe they'll join NATO. None of that would be a justification. You can't just invade a foreign country and bomb its cities and, and do what he's done. That is a war crime. And that is not a hard question. As I say, the hard question is crimes within the war itself. And so I hope at least I've clarified a little bit about the jurisdiction of the International Court of Justice, jurisdiction of the International Criminal Court, the special criminal courts that have been set up for uh, the, the Baltic states and, and, um, and uh, other places, and the difference between the crime of aggressive war and crimes within either an aggressive or a self-defense war. I think there will be trials. Um, I suspect that 
there will be indictments by the International Criminal Court. Probably will never get Putin, but maybe they will get some of his generals or some people. Maybe, maybe even the Ukrainians will take some prisoners and maybe they'll be able to get some of the generals or responsible for some of the decisions that might constitute war crimes. We'll wait and see. We'll wait and see. But uh, please send me your reactions. Boy, did I get reactions to my last show. I tell you, the one way I know I can get a million letters, if I say anything good about President Biden, I know I will get a million letters if I say anything good. I would say I got probably, I don't know, 25 letters um, um, uh, about Biden. Let me just read, read a couple of them together and then I'll give you my, my response. My problem with Biden talking about his son, Bo, is that he used his son as a shield and a weapon. He used him when talking to the family of those killed in Afghanistan as a shield. His son died of cancer, which even he admits can't be blamed on his service. And it's self-censored to bring up his son's unrelated death to those whose son's deaths Biden is arguably responsible for. Um, okay, that, that's one. Um, I don't understand your vote for Biden over Trump. Trump kept every promise made to Israel. And while the left grows more and more anti-Semitic, plus Biden is a nasty moron, always has been. I, I don't agree with that. Uh, it's incredible how disconnected from reality one of the greater minds uh, of his time wound up. Don't worry, it's not going to end being flattery. Uh, to ignore the absolute fact that the division of this country was started by, I think I lost it, was started by by the left, obviously, and um, uh, and he blames it all on on the left and on 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 Biden. So you know we have very very different views on some of these matters. Um, the two Republicans who challenged Biden over the thirteenth, I didn't challenge them; they booed him and they stood up and they disrupted his speech. The two Republicans who challenged Biden over the thirteen dead soldiers in Afghanistan during his speech were no more egregious than Nancy Pelosi tearing up Trump's speech. By the way, there's a difference. One was shouting and yelling and disruptive. The other was quiet. But I thought Nancy Pelosi's uh, uh, decision to tear up Biden's uh, Trump's speech was wrong. I, I, I don't defend that. I don't agree with it. And then it continues. There's no proof that Biden's son died because of burn pits. Biden uses the death of his son frequently as a political talking uh, point. And then, uh, wow, wonder how much... I got paid. I'm getting paid, according to this person. How much I got paid to pump up that disgrace we have as a leader of the free world. Apparently, Dirsch has been sleeping for the past year. And so that's the tone of many of the anti-Trump um, uh, letters that, that I've been getting. Let, let me be very, very clear. Uh, anti-Biden letters that I've been getting in the past year. Let me be very, very clear. I voted for Biden. Um, I voted for him because I thought he was better, um, uh, less bad, better than the competition. I voted for him because I support a woman's right to choose abortion, which Florida is now trying to abolish along with a number of other states or limit to 15 weeks. A lot of young girls don't even know they're pregnant in 15 weeks. I support gay rights. I support limited gun control consistent with the Second Amendment. I support the separation of church and state, but I don't support the democratic agenda uh, on many other issues. Uh, I'll give you an example, which I think I'll talk about in another show. 
a bunch of Democrats, some Republicans too, by the way, have gotten together and formed a committee to try to disbar lawyers who helped uh, President Trump. They don't include me because I didn't advise him on the election. I defended him uh, from the first impeachment, uh, which was unconstitutional because it didn't charge him with uh, high crimes and misdemeanors or treason or bribery. But uh, I don't agree with that. That's uh, McCarthyism. So, you know, I'm not a straight down the line Democrat. I don't know who I'm going to vote for in the next election. It depends, you know, if, if Nikki Haley runs against uh, uh, Sanders, I'm, I'm voting for Nikki Haley. I have no doubt about that. Um, but uh, you can't count on me always to be uh, a strong supporter of, of, of Democrats. But, you know, I, I generally like Joe Biden. Could he be doing a better job? Sure. Uh, I've never, never voted for a president who I thought couldn't do a better job. I grew to really dislike enormously President Obama, particularly in the last two years of his second uh, term. In fact, it caused me to break my personal relationship with him, which I had over a, I don't know, 20-year period. But, um, you know, I, I'm very critical of a lot of things that Biden has done. I wait and see what he does now. Will he, will he allow a no-fly zone? Will he encourage Poland to send jets? Uh, I don't know. I'm not sure I know the right answer to all these uh, questions. Um, but I'm not just a Biden uh, supporter. I'm a Biden critic, and I'm a Republican critic, and I'm a critic of everybody but my family, sometimes even them, but not very much. So one more letter, and then we'll call it a day. This is about the Supreme Court nominee. Um, you say Judge Jackson is something we need. No. The Supreme Court is supposed to be about one thing, the Constitution and the law, no party preferences. Hey, did you say that when President Trump nominated three pretty conservative, strident Republicans to the uh, Supreme Court? Uh, and then he says, Jackson mocks the law. I don't know what that means. Uh, look at her tweets. I have. I don't know what you're talking about. Please be more specific next time. Other news stations have shown she supports to fund the police. I haven't seen that. Um, no bail. Democratic on Black Lives Matter, Antifa, and thieves under $1,000. I haven't seen any of that. Uh, open borders. I haven't seen that. Maybe you'll educate me. Maybe she'll testify at the hearing, but I think you're stereotyping. We need law and order. So you do want to make sure that there's more than the Constitution on the court. You want your own preferences to be on the court. We need Republicans. Ah, what happened to your statement? No political preferences. We need Republicans who follow the constitutional law. We need Republicans and Democrats who follow the constitutional law. Cases that lower Democratic judges refuse to support. Look, there's a lot of politics on, on the courts and on the Supreme Court. I agree with you. Um, too much. I think too many judges allow their own preferences to show through in their decisions, and that's uh, wrong. But that's as true of the right and of the left. And, um, and, and I think that uh, uh, it's important that we try to get constitutionalists uh, on the court. So before I say goodbye for today, we're going to do something special on, um, I think it's Thursday, right? Yeah, Thursday at 5.30. We're not on Thursday at 5.30. Thursday and Friday, I'm off. But we're going to do a special locals, a live locals, where, if technology permits it, 
I can interact with any of you who are on Locals, and you can ask me hard questions and make nasty comments, and I'll respond. I'll try to have a smile on my face, and I'll try to answer your questions. But let's remember, Thursday, 5.30 on Locals, and maybe tomorrow, Wednesday, I'll give you more specific information about how you can get it. And please write to me about war crimes, write to me about Ukraine, write to me about anything I've said. All you have to do is scroll down, hit the comments, and I'll respond. Good night. See you tomorrow.